0: Hello again, I'm Richard Figge, and this is for Reading Out Loud. Thanks for joining me this evening. Tonight's stories are from Rudyard Kipling's Just So Stories, first published in 1902. Kipling used to make up bedtime stories for his daughter Josephine. Of course, she had her favorites and wanted to hear them again and again. Now, if you are a parent, you know, and if you recall your own childhood bedtime stories, perhaps you remember that the stories had to be told always with the same details and the same wording, and, if Kipling left something out, Josephine would sit up and complain. The stories had to be told just so, hence the title Kipling gave to this beloved book. The just-so stories are origin stories, and they explain why certain things are so, how the tiger got his stripes, or how the camel got his hump. Here are a couple of my favorites— Listen to the language, and you'll understand why Josephine didn't want a single word changed. This one goes out to Bill and Nancy. How the Whale Got His Throat In the sea, once upon a time, O oh, my best beloved, there was a whale, and he ate fishes, he ate the starfish, and the garfish, and the crab, and the dab, and the place, and the dace, and the skate, and his mate, and the mackerel and the pickareel, and the really truly twirly whirly eel. All the fishes he could find in all the sea he ate with his mouth, So till at last there was only one small fish left in all the sea, and he was a small stute-fish, and he swam a little behind the whale's right ear, so as to be out of harm's way. Then the whale stood up on his tail and said, "'I'm hungry.' And the small stute-fish said, in a small stute voice, "'Noble and generous cetacean, Have you ever tasted man?' "'No,' said the whale. "'What is it like?' "'Nice!' said the small stute-fish. "'Nice, but nubbly.' "'Then fetch me some,' said the whale, and he made the sea froth up with his tail. "'One at a time is enough,' said the stute-fish. "'If you swim to latitude fifty north, longitude forty west—that is magic—you will find, sitting on a raft in the middle of the sea—' with nothing on but a pair of blue canvas breeches, a pair of suspenders—you must not forget the suspenders, dearly beloved—and a jackknife, one shipwrecked mariner, who, it is only fair to tell you, is a man of infinite resource and sagacity. So the whale swam and swam to latitude fifty north, longitude forty west, as fast as he could swim, and on a raft, in the middle of the sea, with nothing to wear except a pair of blue canvas breeches, a pair of suspenders—you must particularly remember the suspenders, best beloved—and a jackknife, he found one single, solitary, shipwrecked mariner trailing his toes in the water. He had his mummy's leave to paddle, or else he would never have done it, because he was a man of infinite resource and sagacity. Then the whale opened his mouth back and back and back, till it nearly touched his tail, and he swallowed the shipwrecked mariner, and the raft he was sitting on, and his blue canvas breeches, and the suspenders, which you must not forget, and the jackknife." he swallowed them all down into his warm, dark inside cupboards, and then he smacked his lips, so, and turned round three times on his tail. But as soon as the mariner, who was a man of infinite resource and sagacity, found himself truly inside the whale's warm, dark inside cupboards, he stumped and he jumped and he thumped and he bumped, and he pranced and he danced, and he banged and he clanged, and he hit and he bit, and he leaped and he creeped, and he prowled and he howled, and he hopped and he dropped, and he cried and he sighed, and he crawled and he bawled, and he stepped and he leapt, and he danced hornpipes where he shouldn't, and the whale felt most unhappy indeed.' have you forgotten the suspenders?' So he said to the stute fish, "'This man is very nubbly, and besides he is making me hiccup. What shall I do?' "'Tell him to come out,' said the stute fish. So the whale called down his own throat to the shipwrecked mariner, "'Come out and behave yourself. I've got the hiccups.' "'Nay, nay,' said the mariner, "'not so.' but far otherwise. Take me to my natal shore and the white cliffs of Albion, and I'll think about it. And he began to dance more than ever. You had better take him home, said the stootfish to the whale. I ought to have warned you that he is a man of infinite resource and sagacity. So the whale swam and swam and swam, with both flippers and his tail as hard as he could for the hiccups and at last he saw the mariner's natal shore and the white cliffs of Albion, and he rushed halfway up the beach and opened his mouth wide and wide and wide and said, Change here for Winchester, Ashwalot, Nashua, Keene, and stations on the Fitchburg Road. And just as he said Fitch, the mariner walked out of his mouth. But while the whale had been swimming, the mariner— who was indeed a person of infinite resource and sagacity, had taken his jackknife and cut up the raft into a little square grating, all running criss-cross, and he tied it firm with his suspenders. Now you know why you were not to forget the suspenders. And he dragged the grating good and tight into the whale's throat, and there it stuck." then he recited the following sloka, which, as you have not heard it, I will now proceed to relate. By means of a grating I have stopped your eating. for the mariner he was also an hibernian, and he stepped out on the shingle, and went home to his mother, who had given him leave to trail his toes in the water, and he married and lived happily ever afterward. So did the whale, but from that day on the grating in his throat, which he could neither cough up nor swallow down, prevented him from eating anything except very, very small fish. And that is the reason why whales nowadays never eat men, or boys, or little girls. The small stootfish fish went and hid himself in the mud under the door-sills of the equator, he was afraid that the whale might be angry with him. The sailor took the jackknife home. He was wearing the blue canvas breeches when he walked out on the shingle. The suspenders were left behind, you see, to tie the grating with. And that is the end of that tale. When the cabin portholes are dark and green because of the seas outside, when the ship goes whop with a wiggle between, and the steward falls into the soup tureen, and the trunks begin to slide, when Nursie lies on the floor in a heap, and mummy tells you to let her sleep, and you aren't wakened or washed or dressed, why then you will know, if you haven't guessed, you're fifty north and forty west. THE ELEPHANT'S CHILD in the high and far off times, the elephant, O oh best beloved, had no trunk. He had only a blackish, bulgy nose as big as a boot that he could wriggle about from side to side, but he couldn't pick up things with it. But there was one elephant, a new elephant, an elephant's child who was full of satiable curiosity. And that means he asked ever so many questions. And he lived in Africa, and he filled all Africa with his satiable curiosities. He asked his tall aunt the ostrich why her tail feathers grew just so. And his tall aunt the ostrich spanked him with her hard, hard claw. He asked his tall uncle the giraffe, what made his skin spotty, and his tall uncle, the giraffe, spanked him with his hard, hard hoof? And still he was full of satiable curiosity. He asked his broad aunt, the hippopotamus, why her eyes were red, and his broad aunt, the hippopotamus, spanked him with her broad, broad hoof. And he asked his hairy uncle, the baboon, why melons tasted just so, and his hairy uncle, the baboon, spanked him with his hairy, hairy paw. And still he was full of satiable curiosity. He asked questions about everything that he saw, or heard, or felt, or smelt, or touched, and all his uncles and his aunts spanked him. And still he was full of satiable curiosity. One fine morning, in the middle of the precession of the equinoxes, this satiable elephant's child asked a new fine question that he had never asked before. He asked, "What does the crocodile have for dinner?" Then everybody said, "Hush!" in a loud and dreadful tone, and they spanked him immediately and directly without stopping for a long time. By and by, when that was finished, he came upon Kolokolo Kolo Bird, sitting in the middle of a wait-a-bit thorn-bush, and he said, My father has spanked me, and my mother has spanked me. All my aunts and uncles have spanked me for my satiable curiosity, and still I want to know what the crocodile has for dinner. Then Kolokolo Kolo Bird said, with a mournful cry, Go to the bank's, of the great, gray-green, greasy Limpopo River, all set about with fever-trees, and find out. That very morning, when there was nothing left of the equinoxes, because the precession had preceded according to precedent, this satiable elephant's child took a hundred pounds of bananas, the little short red kind, and a hundred pounds of sugar-cane, the long purple kind, And seventeen melons, the greeny, crackly kind, and said to all his dear families, Goodbye, I am going to the great gray green, greasy Limpopo River, all set about with fever trees, to find out what the crocodile has for dinner. And they all spanked him once more for luck, though he asked them most politely to stop. Then he went away, a little warm, but not at all astonished eating melons, and throwing the rind about, because he could not pick it up. He went from Grahamstown town to Kimberley, from Kimberley to Kama's country, and from Kama's country he went east by north, eating melons all the time, till at last he came to the banks of the great gray-green greasy Limpopo River, all set about with fever-trees, precisely as Kolokolo Kolo Bird had said." Now you must know and understand, O best beloved, that till that very week and day and hour and minute this satiable elephant's child had never seen a crocodile, and did not know what one was like. It was all his satiable curiosity. The first thing that he found was a bi-coloured python rock-snake curled round a rock. "'Excuse me,' said the elephant's child, most politely." "'But have you seen such a thing as a crocodile in these promiscuous parts?' "'Have I seen a crocodile?' said the bi-colored python rock-snake, in a voice of dreadful scorn. "'What will you ask me next?' "'Excuse me,' said the elephant's child, "'but could you kindly tell me what he has for dinner?' Then the bicoloured python rock-snake uncoiled himself very quickly from the rock and spanked the elephant's child with his scalesome, flailsome tail. "'That is odd,' said the elephant's child, "'because my father and my mother and my uncle and my aunt, not to mention my other aunt the hippopotamus and my other uncle the baboon, have all spanked me for my satiable curiosity, and I suppose this is the same thing.' so he said goodbye very politely to the bi python rock-snake, and helped to coil him up on the rock again, and went on, a little warm, but not at all astonished, eating melons and throwing the rind about, because he could not pick it up, till he trod on what he thought was a log of wood at the very edge of the great grey-green greasy Limpopo River, all set about with fever-trees." but it was really the crocodile, O best beloved, and the crocodile winked one eye, like this. "'Excuse me,' said the elephant's child, most politely, "'but do you happen to have seen a crocodile in these promiscuous parts?' Then the crocodile winked the other eye, and lifted half his tail out of the mud, and the elephant's child stepped back, most politely, because he did not wish to be spanked again." "'Come hither, little one,' said the crocodile. "'Why do you ask such things?' "'Excuse me,' said the elephant's child most politely, "'but my father has spanked me, my mother has spanked me, not to mention my tall aunt the ostrich and my tall uncle the giraffe,' Who can kick ever so hard, as well as my broad aunt the hippopotamus and my hairy uncle the baboon, and including the bi-colored python rock snake with a scalesome, flailsome tail just up the bank, who spanks harder than any of them? And so, if it's quite all the same to you, I don't want to be spanked any more. Come hither, little one," said the crocodile, "for I am the crocodile." and he wept crocodile tears just to show it was quite true. Then the elephant child grew all breathless and panted and kneeled down on the bank and said, "'You are the very person I have been looking for all these days. Will you please tell me what you have for dinner?' "'Come hither, little one,' said the crocodile, "'and I'll whisper.' Then the elephant's child put his head down close to the crocodile's musky-tusky mouth, and the crocodile caught him by his little nose, which up to that very week, day, hour, and minute had been no bigger than a boot, though much more useful. "'I think,' said the crocodile, and he said it between his teeth like this, "'I think to-day I will begin with elephant's child.' At this, O oh best beloved, the elephant's child was much annoyed, and he said, speaking through his nose like this, Let go, you are hurting me. Then the bi-colored python rock snake scuffled down from the bank and said, My young friend, if you do not now, immediately and instantly, pull as hard as ever you can, it is my opinion that your acquaintance in the large-pattern leather ulster and by this he meant the crocodile, will jerk you into yonder limpid stream before you can say Jack Robinson. This is the way bicolored python rock snakes always talk. Then the elephant's child sat back on his little haunches, and pulled, and pulled, and pulled, and his nose began to stretch and the crocodile floundered into the water, making it all creamy with great sweeps of his tail, and he pulled and pulled and pulled. And the elephant's child's nose kept on stretching— and the elephant's child spread all his little four legs, and pulled, and pulled, and pulled, and his nose kept on stretching, and the crocodile threshed his tail like an oar, and he pulled, and pulled, and pulled, and at each pull the elephant's child's nose grew longer and longer, and it hurt him hideous. Then the elephant's child felt his legs slipping, and he said through his nose, which was now nearly five feet long, This is too much for me. Then the bi colored python rock snake came down from the bank and knotted himself in a double clove hitch round the elephant's child's hind legs and said, Rash and inexperienced traveler, we will now seriously devote ourselves to a little high tension. Because if we do not, it is my impression that yonder self propelling man of war with the armor plated upper deck — and by this, O oh best beloved, he meant the crocodile — will permanently vitiate your future career. This is the way all bicolored python rock snakes always talk. So he pulled, and the elephant's child pulled, and the crocodile pulled for the elephant's child and the bi-colored python rock snake pulled hardest, and at last the crocodile let go of the elephant's child's nose with a plop that you could hear all up and down the limpopo. Then the elephant's child sat down most hard and sudden, but first he was careful to say thank you to the bicolored python rock snake and next he was kind to his poor pulled nose and wrapped it all up in cool banana leaves and hung it in the great gray-green greasy limpopo to cool. "'What are you doing that for?' said the coloured python rock snake. "'Excuse me,' said the elephant's child, "'but my nose is badly out of shape, and I am waiting for it to shrink.' "'Then you will have to wait a long time.' said the bicoloured python rock snake, some people do not know what is good for them. Then the elephant's child sat for three days waiting for his nose to shrink, but it never grew any shorter, and besides, it made him squint. For, O oh best beloved, you will see and understand that the crocodile had pulled it out into a really truly trunk same as all elephants have today. At the end of the third day a fly came and stung him on the shoulder, and before he knew what he was doing he lifted up his trunk and hit that fly dead with the end of it. Vantage number one, said the bicolored python rock snake. You couldn't have done that with a mere smear nose. Try and eat a little now. Before he thought what he was doing, the elephant's child put out his trunk and plucked a large bundle of grass, dusted it clean against his forelegs, and stuffed it into his own mouth. "Vantage number 2," said the bicolored python rock snake, "you couldn't have done that with a mere smear nose. Don't you think the sun is very hot here?" "It is," said the elephant's child and before he thought what he was doing he slooped up a shloop of mud from the banks of the great gray-green greasy limpopo and slapped it on his head where it made a cool shloopy sloshy mud cap all trickly behind his ears. Vantage number three, said the bicolored python rock snake, you couldn't have done that with a mere smear nose. Now, how do you feel about being spanked again? Excuse me, said the elephant's child, but I should not like it at all. How would you like to spank somebody? said the bi-colored python rock snake. I should like it very much indeed, said the elephant's child. Well, said the bi-colored python rock snake, you will find that new nose of yours very useful to spank people with. Thank you, said the elephant's child. I'll remember that and now I think I'll go home to all my dear families and try." So the elephant's child went home across Africa, frisking and whisking his trunk. When he wanted fruit to eat, he pulled fruit down from a tree instead of waiting for it to fall as he used to do. When he wanted grass, he plucked grass up from the ground instead of getting on his knees as he used to do. When the flies bit him, he broke off the branch of a tree and used it as a fly-whisk, and he made himself a new, cool, slushy-squashy mud-cap whenever the sun was hot. When he felt lonely walking through Africa, he sang to himself down his trunk, and the noise was louder than several brass bands. He went especially out of his way to find a broad hippopotamus—she was no relation of his—and he spanked her very hard to make sure that the bi-coloured python rock-snake had spoken the truth about his new trunk. The rest of the time he picked up the melon rinds that he had dropped on his way to the Limpopo, for he was a tidy pachyderm. One dark evening he came back to all his dear families, and he coiled up his trunk and said, "'How do you do?' They were very glad to see him, and immediately said, "'Come here and be spanked for your satiable curiosity.' "'Poo!' said the elephant's child. "'I don't think you peoples know anything about spanking, but I do, and I'll show you.' Then he uncurled his trunk and knocked two of his dear brothers head over heels. "'Oh, bananas!' they said. "'Where did you learn that trick? And what have you done to your nose?' "'I got a new one from the crocodile on the banks of the great grey-green greasy Limpopo River,' said the elephant's child. I asked him what he had for dinner, and he gave me this to keep. "'It looks very ugly,' said his hairy uncle the baboon. "'It does,' said the elephant's child, "'but it's very useful.' And he picked up his hairy uncle, the baboon, by one hairy leg, and hove him into a hornet's nest. Then that bad elephant's child spanked all his dear families for a long time, till they were very warm and greatly astonished. He pulled out his tall ostrich-ant's tail-feathers—' and he caught his tall uncle the giraffe by the hind leg and dragged him through a thorn-bush, and he shouted at his broad aunt the hippopotamus and blew bubbles into her ear when she was sleeping in the water after meals. But he never let anyone touch Kolokolo Bird. At last things grew so exciting that his dear families went off one by one in a hurry to the banks of the great gray-green greasy Limpopo River, all set about with fever trees, to borrow new noses from the crocodile. When they came back, nobody spanks anybody any more. And ever since that day, O best beloved, all the elephants you will ever see, besides all those you won't, HAVE TRUNKS PRECISELY LIKE THE TRUNK OF THE SATIABLE ELEPHANT'S CHILD. I KEEP SIX HONEST SERVING MEN, THEY TAUGHT ME ALL I KNEW. THEIR NAMES ARE WHAT, AND WHERE, AND WHEN, AND HOW, AND WHY, AND WHO. I SEND THEM OVER LAND AND SEA, I SEND THEM EAST AND WEST, BUT AFTER THEY HAVE WORKED FOR ME, I GIVE THEM ALL A REST. I let them rest from nine to five, for I am busy then, as well as breakfast, lunch, and tea, for they are hungry men. But different folk have different views. I know a person small, she keeps ten million serving men, who get no rest at all. She sends them abroad on her own affairs from the second she opens her eyes. One million hows, two million wheres, and seven million whys. You've been listening to How the Whale Got His Throat and the Elephant's Child from Rudyard Kipling's Just So Stories. I'm Richard Figge, and this has been for Reading Out Loud. If you're enjoying this series, please tell your friends, and if they will write to me with the simple message, yes. I will be happy to add them to the subscription list. My address is rfiggy that's R-F as in Frank, I-G-G-E, at worcester.edu. That's it for tonight. I hope you'll join me again next week. In the meantime, be well, be happy, all the best. <music>